You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. My name is Zach. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new, we're so thankful that you're here. I want to welcome you. Um, We want to formally welcome you if you're new uh, with some details that you'll hear about at the end of the service, so stay tuned for that. But man, I'm I'm thankful for this summer. I'm thankful to uh, have kind of, for my family, vacations wrapped up, and um, so we're going to be back in kind of a normal rotation now. That being said, uh, we are doing our Madison Multiply sermon series in a couple weeks. We'll start that. So you'll, you guys will be seeing different pastors from Redeemer City and from Eastside Church, from the Vine, kind of rotating in and out as we elevate the value of church planting, as we elevate uh, our, our partnership with the churches that we've planted and sent here at the Vine. And so be looking for that. We'll be doing a five-week series in August <clears throat> Up until our vision series that we always do, the beginning of September. And then after that, we'll return to the life of David and see um, how this kind of wraps up in the books of 1st and 2nd Samuel. So today, um, we're going to be looking at 2nd Samuel chapter 7. And if you have a Bible, go ahead and open to 2nd Samuel chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the tables in the back. You can also see it on the screen. In addition... If you have any questions, uh, I think we'll have time to do a question or two at the end, so you can just scan that uh, QR code, and we'll consider maybe some questions that could emerge from the sermon this morning. I encourage you to do that. Second Samuel chapter seven. <clears throat> well, I love I love great movies, and I love movies as works of art. <clears throat> And there are certain movies that I can watch over and over again. I, I get the opportunity to, to travel quite a bit with my job and just normal traveling for our family. And so, you know, you use that time to sometimes watch movies on a plane. You know, they've got all the movies and all that. But there are certain movies I can watch over and over again, just like going to an art gallery and just kind of staring and soaking in a, an amazing, transcendent work of art you can just see it over and over again and, and appreciate it. Same with a, with a great movie. The acting is so rich. Cinem- Cinematography is perfect. Writing is spot on. Like, I don't have much time for like the Hollywood fluff that just kind of exists to make money. But when you sense that a movie, it's, it's really trying to have genuine artistic integrity. And that, that gets me really excited. It gets me really excited. And oftentimes, you guys will probably all relate to this, you can sense that the movie's going to be great just by watching a great trailer, right? Sometimes a trailer will give you that sense of what to expect when it comes to the full production. And there's some movie trailers even that I can watch over and over again uh, I did that this morning, just thinking about this sermon. I went back and watched some of my favorite movie trailers that you can see, you know, any of them now, thanks to the, the internet. 
I remember watching the, the trailer for the, the latest Batman movie that came out just a couple years ago. And, and the way it was shot and the images and kind of the creepy Nirvana song that reminded me of when I was in high school. Um, man, they just gave you this emotion in two minutes and 30 seconds. I, I remember finding it riveting. And it led to this deep sense of anticipation for me. I, I love the Batman movies. And for me, it was like, man, watching that trailer, I can't wait to see this movie. And then, you know, whatever it was, 18 months before the movie, the trailer came out. So we had to wait about 18 months, this sense of anticipation. We finally went to the theater to see the movie, and it didn't disappoint. And, and I thought it was really well done, this latest version of, of Batman. I really liked it. But isn't it interesting how a, how a great preview of a movie can get you really excited, can, can lead, that's the whole point. You know, trying to make some money, get you to go to the theater, or get you to download it on Amazon or whatever, that trailer exists to get you excited, and oftentimes they're great at doing that. And you're thinking, man, I, I might have to wait a year or 18 months, but when that comes out, they're going to get my money, and I'm going to the theater, and I'm watching it. After all the waiting, you walk into that theater on that day, and it's like, man, here we go. This is it. Let's do this. And it's really fun. Like, a lot of people get so excited, they'll dress up like the characters, right? Like the Lord of the Ring dorks and all, the, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, I got one back here. Did you dress up, right? No? Okay. You would. So if you could dress up as a Lord of the Rings character, who would it be? Gandalf? Yeah. If I had to pick, I'd go Gandalf too. I mean, legendary. What's that? That's, that's true. That's true. There's big budgets for these kind of people that do these things. Yeah. That's a really good point. Well, transitioning, all that to say, um, this is kind of what's happening in our text for today. This is what's happening in our text for today. We're getting the preview to a movie that's the best movie the world has ever seen. And it takes a little longer than a year or 18 months for the actual movie to come out. But when it does, some people are going to hate it. And there will be critics, for sure, that will say it's the worst. But some people will have their lives changed by it in a way that they could never have imagined. So let me set the stage for 2 Samuel chapter 7. And now we've seen, and I talked about this a couple weeks ago, this section of 2 Samuel, David's, he's kind of living his best life. This is a good season of life for David. Really good. He's united God's people from division. So God, people are united. They are one family. And like you heard about last week, James preached a great sermon on the Ark of the Covenant in chapter 6. This is God's symbolic presence that he chooses to uniquely give to his people. And they have it now. 
and they have a place to live. God's enemies have been judged and driven out. So, so check this out. This is a theme that runs all through Scripture. God has a people in his place with his presence. God has a people in his place with his presence. And, and David has facilitated that to come to pass because God has been with him. And so now God is going to come to David and make a promise to him from the prophet Nathan that's going to blow him away. And we're going to trace this promise all the way to Jesus this morning. Because I want you to see how your Bible fits together. So let's take a look at the whole text. And I'm just going to read 1 through 17. And then we're going to focus on one verse this morning. Okay? Now when the king... David lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. The king said to Nathan the prophet, Now see, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. All right, so we're connecting now to last week. David's saying, I, I live in this nice house. I'm the king. But the symbolic presence of God isn't, even in a dwelling as nice as mine. And Nathan said to the king, this is the prophet, go do all that's in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But the same, that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I've moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Verse 8. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture. Now he's re recounting the early days of David's life. I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over all people of Israel. And I've been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house, here it is, verse 16, and your house, God says to David, and your kingdom 
shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So through the prophet Nathan, God speaks to David, kind of summarizes his past, present, and looking to the future. Okay? Immediate future, eternal future. Okay? There's a lot we could break down here. But what I want to do this morning is I really want to focus on this promise for the future found in verse 16. This is one of the pinnacles of the whole Old Testament. Pillar texts like Genesis 3.15 and Genesis 12.1 and 2 and Jeremiah 31 and Daniel chapter, uh, Daniel chapter 7. But this is another one. If you were to, to kind of make a Mount Rushmore of Old Testament texts that, that hold the Bible together, finding their fulfillment in Jesus, this is one of them. 2 Samuel 716. Let me read it again. You can see it on the screen. See it in your Bible. Underline it in your Bible. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. And then he says it again. Your throne shall be established forever. So if you were David hearing God speak to you, how do you think you would respond to this? How do you think you would respond to this? It would be like somebody coming to me and saying, Zach, your leadership role at the Vine Church is going to endure forever. What does that mean? Or maybe you have some leadership role in your workplace, and someone comes and says to you, you will never be forgotten in this workplace. Your name will be remembered forever. Your name will always be on the building, and this building's not going away. Like, how would that make you feel? I think it would be pretty humbling. You would feel the weight of that responsibility, the weight of that calling. That, that's what's happening here to David. He hears from God via the prophet Nathan that in some sense his lineage will exist forever. And if you were David, or if you were the original audience of 2 Samuel, hearing this read for the first time, I don't think you'd really even know what that meant or would look like in the future. It's just kind of a promise of God with not a lot of explanation as to the details, right? And many times God's promises in the Old Testament are like this. Just a promise, not a ton of concrete details. And it's an act of faith on the part of God's people to wait, sometimes for a very long time, for those details to emerge. And, and the same is true of us, is it not? Waiting for the details to emerge as to God's promises. Like Jesus promised. You can read about it in the book of Revelation. He says, I will return, and I will make all things right. Well, what that, what's that going to look like in terms of the details? 
Like we have broad information in the Bible for sure, but lots of details we don't have. We, we wait in faith and in hope, right? The Bible says that we will have resurrected bodies. And on the last day, Jesus will raise up all those who are his to live with him forever. And we have some clues about what that might mean from Jesus' own resurrection and his resurrected body. But we don't have a ton of details. We wait in faith and hope for that day. And so we're not that different from the original audience maybe hearing this promise for the first time, that the throne of David will be made sure forever, shall be established forever. So this has always been part of the experience of God's people, hearing God's promises and waiting in faith for them to come to pass. But one thing we do know for sure for this original audience that waited in faith and hope is that they knew that this was, even lacking details, that this in some sense was a promise of the Messiah, the Savior of God's people, that all Jewish people longed for in the Old Testament. They knew this language was messianic language. Like only the Messiah could have eternal rule and reign and dominion. The Messiah, meaning anointed one, would be a son of David. Meaning the Messiah, the promised Savior of God's people, would be of the lineage of King David. Now that's a massive promise. One of the biggest promises in the whole Old Testament, along with those made to Abraham. So what I want to do in the rest of our time this morning is to show you how this text right here is fulfilled in King Jesus. How this original audience waited and longed for this promise to be fulfilled for centuries. Like our text for today, this is the preview of the movie. That they were waiting, waiting, waiting for the movie to come out. And then the movie does come out. In Jesus. So how should this encourage your hearts today? As we too are people, just like the original audience of of 2 Samuel, who long to see God's promises come to pass. So be encouraged today as you see God's promise fulfilled. And, And know, and I want you to walk out of here today with this, God always keeps his promises. Let this account that you're gonna see encourage your heart as the original people probably were deeply, deeply encouraged. But that's also part of our experience as well, and we're going to talk about that. So let me show you the fulfillment of this verse now. And there's lots of examples of seeing 2 Samuel 7.16 fulfilled in the Gospels. But let's look at a couple of them. And the first one is the most explicit link found in the New Testament, found in the Gospels, and it's the account of the announcement of the birth of Jesus. You don't need to turn there unless you want to. It's, it's Luke 1, 26 through 33. I'm just going to read it here for us. 
But I want you to listen for this language that we read about in 2 Samuel and see if you can connect it to what's here. Luke 1.26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. Okay, that's check number one. Joseph's connected to David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. A son. Check. You should call his name Jesus. What is that? What does Jesus mean? Jesus means God saves. Yeshua, God saves. Check. And he will be great, verse 32. Check. And he will be called the son of the most high. Check. It's kind of like warmer. We're getting warmer. We're getting warmer. Now we're starting to get hotter, okay? Of the throne of David. Okay, now we're getting warmer. And the Lord your God will give him the throne of his father David, verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom, there will be no end. So son of the most high, check. Throne of his father David, double check. Reign forever, triple check. Kingdom will have no end, triple check. Like this is as explicit. It'd be like the angel basically coming and reading 2 Samuel to Mary and saying this promise many centuries ago yeah, it's alive in your womb right now. This is as explicit as it gets. This, this promise to Mary about this baby that she's pregnant with. Like any faithful Jew would have known the promises to David made many centuries earlier. And Mary right here in this time in history here's that she's going to participate in this promise made to David coming about in this Amazing way. Like, can you imagine what she would have been thinking? Like, how weighty would have that been for her? It would be kind of like, like an angel coming to Billy Graham's mom and telling her, this baby you're going to have, God's going to use this baby to share the gospel with millions in his lifetime. And thousands and thousands and thousands of people will get saved through his preaching. I'm... I don't know if that happened to Billy Graham's mom. I I doubt that it did. But you could imagine if it did how that would have made her feel. Now imagine that times a million. That was probably what Mary was feeling in light of the fulfillment of the promise to King David about his eternal rule and reign. So so this Christmas account that that we hear every year at Christmas Connects Jesus to the prophecy that we're focusing on today. The time of waiting is over. The son of David is here. The son of David is here. The rule and reign of the eternal one has begun. Let me show you another example. This is in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 27. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, 
listen to it, have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind man came to him, and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. Look at verse 27. Have mercy on us, son of David. So why did the blind men refer to him as son of David? Like they could have said a lot of things like, have mercy on us, great teacher. Have mercy on us, Jesus, Messiah. Have mercy on us, Jesus, the Lamb of God, like John the Baptist said. But they refer to him as son of David. What's the connection between son of David, the title, and their desire to be healed of their blindness? Like we've seen, son of David is not just some title to refer to ancestry. Jewish people had the expectation that the Messiah would be a son of David, from the line of David. And this Messiah would have the power to heal and to restore and make rights. So when these blind guys refer to Jesus as, quote, the son of David, they're acknowledging him as Messiah. They're saying to Jesus, we believe that you are the Messiah. We believe that you can restore our sight. That, that he is the promised one, that he can do all things as Savior of the world. So they're crying out to him in faith. Like, we believe the Bible. We believe 2 Samuel 16, that you are the guy, that you are the fulfillment of the promise. Please, would you heal our sight? So the Gospels show clearly in these passages that this promise made to David find its fulfillment in Jesus. So it's no surprise what we read a few chapters later in Matthew. I love this. This, this kind of really sums it up. In, in chapter 12, Matthew re- recounts that whispers started to emerge on the streets of this ancient area in the Middle East around Jerusalem. Verse 22 of chapter 12, Matthew reports that a a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And check this out. And all the people were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? Notice, not a son of David. Lots of people that could claim that. The son of David. The son of David. Could the son of David be among us? Could this be the Messiah? Has our deliverer finally come? And the original authors, Matthew of the Gospels, their whole point is for you to connect the Bible together if you're the original audience and I'm a good Jewish person and I know 2 Samuel and I know the promise and I see what's happening now in Jesus and the original point is for them to say yes, Matthew is evangelizing an early Jewish audience 
for them to open their eyes, see that all this has been fulfilled, and for them to respond to what he's written by faith and say, yes, Jesus is the one. God fulfills his promises. I will trust in him. I will follow him. I want to see and believe just like those blind men that were healed. So this is what I want to close with this morning. Look at the verse, our verse in 2 Samuel again. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. He says it twice, forever, forever. So what you should hear this morning is if you're a Christian here today, you're a part of a forever plan of God. You're part of a forever plan of God. Like we look back to see the promise made in the life of David. And then we look back a little closer in history to us and see this fulfilled in Jesus and we're reminded that God always keeps his promises because 2 Samuel 7 connects to the gospel accounts and the fulfillment And then we look forward from there, 2,000 years, in in our own lives, and we can see that we're part of this plan that has, it's not been snuffed out, nor will it ever. The plan for God's people, the church, to be a blessing to the whole world. A city on a hill, Jesus said, whose light can't be snuffed out. And And then suddenly you see how it fits together, that your life has meaning and purpose as you get to be a part of this forever plan. As we continue to look forward to that day, just like the ancient people looked forward to Jesus, we look forward to to Jesus and his second coming. The day when all things will be made right. Jesus promised it. It'll happen. God always keeps his promises. That day when he will make all things right, the forever plan of God revealed to David, cemented in Jesus, where it will find its final fruition. Like what greater thing could there be to be a part of? We participate in a purpose and plan that is eternal. That is eternal. God has invited you to play a role in the plan of God, promised to David, centered on Jesus, moving forward in history to the great day. And God always keeps his promises. See that in the scriptures. Be encouraged this morning. If he keeps his promises to David, he can keep his promise to you. Is there a promise of God that you need to remember and take heart and trust in this morning. Knowing that God always keeps his promises, what's that promise that I need to embrace? Maybe it's a promise like Romans 8, 28. That God works together all things for good for those who trust him. Maybe it's Matthew 6. And if God can clothe birds and grass, how much more 
will he take care of you? Or maybe it's a promise that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. What promise of God do you need to embrace? Maybe it's just the simple fact that he promises in Revelation 21 and 22 to, to make all things right and your life feels like a mess right now and you have no idea how this will all be made right. But God promises that, that one day, it's not if, it's just when. All things will be made right. And you just, man, I'm, I'm going to wait like the people of God have always waited for, for you, Lord. And I trust you in the waiting. What is it? What is it? The whole storyline of the Bible is God's promises fulfilled. And at this point in history, we've seen a lot of them fulfilled, and there's still some we're waiting for. That's the journey of God's people, and it always has been. And so as you see this text this morning, let, let the past, 2 Samuel seven sixteen, fulfilled in Jesus, that past happened. Let that happening propel you into the future with greater hope and faith. God always keeps his promises. I'm just going to wait by faith and trust him. God always keeps his promises. That day is coming, and we play a role in it moving into the future. May we continue together waiting and trusting. Let's stay at it. Let's stay at it. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the fact that we see in your word that your promises have been Fulfilled and will be fulfilled. May you solidify in our hearts a, a perseverance to not give, give up in the waiting. Lord, we know because of the cross and the empty tomb and your Holy Spirit given to those who trust in you, you will empower us to not grow weary in doing good. For those this morning that, that are are waiting in a very real way. Lord, I pray you would encourage them with promises from your word, that you would apply by your spirit and your holy word to land on their hearts, to land in their minds, um, and that that would impact them greatly and give them perseverance as they walk into the future. May it be true of myself, may it be true of us. Lord, we need your help. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we've got a couple questions here that are, that are really good. Um, first question, drawing on the language from 2 Samuel 7. Solomon did end up building a house for the Lord, fulfilling verse 13. Jonathan, maybe you could put verse 13 up on the screen. Let's see here. So verse 13 says, from this time I appointed, or wait, that's verse 11. I need my glasses. Uh, he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 
Is this prophecy fulfilled by Solomon and Jesus? Solomon's throne didn't last forever, so what do we make of that? Yes, so one of the things that is tricky about biblical Old Testament prophecy especially is oftentimes uh, the prophets are seeing like an immediate application and then also like a, a very, very future application. So the classic example of this is a mountain range. So you know how when you look at mountains from like maybe uh, like recently I, I was in Colorado and you drive, you're driving through eastern Colorado and then all of a sudden you, you're like, are those clouds? No, those are mountains. And the, mountains, the mountain range just kind of shows up in your vision. And you might be 100 miles away, but you can see them. And what it looks like is those mountains are like right on top of each other, right? The one that might be 100 miles from me and this one that's probably 500 miles from me, they look like they're right on top of each other from your vantage point. Does that make sense? Everybody clear on that? So, so like if you're standing on top of the mountain, you see that, man, these mountains are everywhere. But if you're 100 miles away, they all just look like a line, right? And that's the classic example of how the Old Testament prophets sometimes saw things. They, they saw things kind of like that mountain range. They couldn't see that there's like hundreds of years between them. It kind of looked like the same thing. And so you see like an immediate application, immediate fulfillment, and then there's like this future fulfillment, and oftentimes those are mingled together. And if you want to dive into this, I could, I could send you some way, more examples of this all throughout different prophets in the Old Testament. But that's one of them here. So there's an immediate where, where the prophet is talking about Solomon, David's son. And he's going to build a house, right? And he does. And it's amazing. And you can, we can read about that as, as we continue in the Old Testament. But then Jesus comes, and he does something really interesting with this language of a house. And what, what it's talking about here is a temple. And the temple is built, and the presence of God comes. Solomon does that. But there's a problem. God's people are horribly disobedient. Year after year after year after year, even Solomon is kind of like, at the end of his life, you're kind of like, did he finish well or not? And God's people, in that pattern, over and over and over again, they just sin against God. They assault his glory in their behavior. They don't listen by faith. They harden their hearts. And finally, God judges his people. The Assyrians, the Babylonians come in, and they take God's people out of the land. And this is the big Old Testament theme called exile. They are exited out. They are removed. And what happens? This is, this is cataclysmic for God's people in the Old Testament. The temple is destroyed. What's that got to do with this promise? I thought the promise was that, 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 that the, the, the kingdom and God's presence symbolized in the temple where he would reside would be Forever. Well, Jesus comes on the scene, and he fulfills this language in some really beautiful ways. One of the best examples is when he says to the Pharisees, 
You tear down this temple because it was rebuilt. It wasn't as nice as the first one, but there was the second temple when Jesus was alive. He says, tear it down, and it would get torn down 70 years later by the Romans. Tear it down, and I'll build it up in three days. And the, the gospel authors interpret that for us as Jesus saying, I am the temple now. I am the presence of God now. The presence of God is no longer in a building, it's in a person. It's in a, and then it's going to be a people. Now, we're, we're tying together some big themes of the Old Testament here. But to answer the question, was this prophecy fulfilled by Solomon and Jesus? Yes. Yes. The truest fulfillment is when we see this language of temple, Old Testament, brick and mortar, Turn and focus on Jesus. John chapter 1. John says that he made his glory. Uh, what, what's the, I don't have it memorized. John 1.14 And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father. And the word became flesh, John 1, 14, and dwelt. That verb, dwelt, is John is kind of making up a, a, a Greek word. The verb would be tabernacled. Tabernacle, temple, that's all language for the presence of God. And what he's saying is Jesus tabernacled among us, meaning ancient Jewish audiences hearing that going, presence of God, presence of God. It's no longer in this brick and mortar building. Now it's all focused on Jesus. Jesus is the presence of God. And so his rule and reign because of his resurrection is forever fulfillment of verse 13. Okay, so that was a lot. Um, I hope that makes sense. To answer your question, James? James asked good questions. Uh, we're not going to take time for this uh, last one. Um, but actually, I'll just do it real quick because it's the same exact thing as, as this question. The question is, how does verse 14 apply to Jesus? Specifically, when he does wrong, I will punish him. Um, verse 14 says, when he does wrong, I will punish him. Again, this is, is it Solomon or is it Jesus? And we know that Jesus did no wrong. So verse 14 probably applies to Solomon, who, who did do wrong, and he does see consequences from that in his life. Um, but there's this mingling, again, of, of near application, of far application in Old Testament prophecy. And there's some debate about this uh, as scholars uh, interpret these different things. But I would say, yeah, that's um, about Solomon and these future promises are summed up in Jesus and the eternal rule and reign of God. All right, we're going to move to the Lord's Supper. James is going to come now and lead us in that.